The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I had just arrived in London at 18 and spotted this movie marquee, Meetings with Remarkable Men. The film was about the philosopher Gurdjieff, but it was the title that spoke to me. I wanted to know people like that, people changing the world by the way they lived. I've sought them out ever since, and now we'll hear from many of them on the Victoria Moran podcast, Meetings with Remarkable Women. Welcome to the podcast. Your host, Victoria Moran, author of Creating a Charmed Life, Younger by the Day, and Main Street Vegan, invites you to conversations designed to help you thrive in your body, cozy up to your soul, and use your unique gifts to change the world. Now, here's Victoria. Do you hurry? I do. I'm afraid to admit that I do it more than I wish I did. Things seem so pressing. There's a full to-do list and another day's work responding to everybody else's very valid requests. And then all the work in the world seems so urgent. What can I do today right now to lessen suffering? Even a tiny bit, what can I do to help with the climate crisis? Even a microscopic bit. So am I in a rush? Damn right I am. But there are some people in my world who tell me that I can be more effective if I slow down. And one of these is the remarkable woman we'll be hearing from today. Hi, everybody. I am Victoria Moran, and I'm just so happy that you're taking this time to join us on the Victoria Moran podcast, where we meet remarkable women and talk about remarkable ideas. And if you have some ideas for this program, things that you'd like to hear, things that you'd like to share, I cordially invite you to join our Facebook group, the Victoria Moran podcast Facebook listeners group. That's our inner circle. So if we've got a book to give away or some other things going on that are kind of special, you'll hear about it there. So it would be wonderful to have you join us if you haven't already. Now let's talk about this wonderful woman who's going to help us slow down and be more passionate and more effective and happier. We can use some of that, right? She is Lauren McLaughlin. 
an ordained unity minister. She's the author of the Spiritual Awakening series. This is a series of family-oriented novels with a spiritual twist. Lauren's signature teaching is deepening gratitude. Her passion is piquing the interest of awakening souls and guiding them to their next step slowly on the journey to enlightenment. Welcome, Reverend Laura. Thank you. Nice to be here, Victoria. Well, it's wonderful to be on this side of the microphone this time. I think last <laughs> time together, I, I was on your show. So you have been doing a lot of writing since we talked last, and, and you're writing actually a series. So tell us what sparked that. Well, um, I'm a teacher, of course, of, of spiritual principles, have been for 30 years or more. And uh, I thought when I kind of ended my church career that I would like to put down on paper some of the things that, frankly, my students had taught me through the years that I thought I was teaching them and they gave me more than I gave them. And so I started to write a self-help book. And while my point of view was slightly different, as I'd get to about the third chapter, I'd think, you know, this has been written a hundred times by a hundred people, and I'm not sure this is what I should be doing. So I was teaching a class one day, and I heard myself say, have you ever done that? I heard myself say, the greatest teachers in the world were storytellers, and certainly they were, uh, Jesus being the primary storyteller. So... I thought if you could have seen a light bulb, literally, <laughs> on someone's head, I had this bright idea, oh my goodness, maybe I could teach these in story form. So I just went into spirit about it and said, what about this? And these characters sort of began to form. I had never written fiction before, but uh, and it took me three book tries to get to where I think I'm now really teaching through fiction. <laughs> I was just experimenting, I think, with the first forms. But uh, I'm quite happy with this format because people tell me they are able to grasp things they've sort of played around with for years. But when they actually saw someone else having the experience, it was easier for them to incorporate it. So I've, it's my chosen one. Uh, my chosen method to teach what I think I have to offer the world. And the most recent book in this series is the one I was alluding to in my little intro, which <laughs> is Don't Rush. The trip is way more interesting than the destination. That whole thing about not rushing is really tough. How did you come to that? And what can you tell us to help us slow down a little? Well, someone once said being an American is running up an escalator. <laughs> Europeans are, you know, they take siestas and they stop for two hours in the middle of the day and they they have seem to have a, a a greater ability to manage their lives than we do. We just want more and more and more. And so we do more and more and more. But we miss so much when we are just on on the fast track. I I was talking to a woman the other day who went to a museum uh, called the Imagination Museum. She said, Lauren, people just ran through looking from side to side at these perfectly marvelous miniature things that were so special to look at. And I said, well, that's where most people live their life. 
They, they live in one activity in their mind, planning the next one. And it's just a habit. We can break it if we want to. And if we even try it for 15 minutes a day, I'm just going to stay in the now. Certainly, the great authors have written about the now forever. You want a real a trip into it, you want to read Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. But the, the purpose is to simply experience what's going on in the now moment rather than uh, racing on to the next thing. And so the point of the novel is to show that there are so many things to do in life and you can do them all, but while you're doing them, you really need to savor them. So what does this do, Lauren, for our spiritual growth? I can see how maybe it would lower blood pressure and help us have less stress in life, even help us enjoy the things that we're experiencing more. But what about the growth of the soul? Does this factor in there? Yes, it opens us to the wonder. Uh, and I'm about to do some work with a theory that I've come up with called the balance box. And I don't want to get into that here because it isn't ready to present yet. But if it's equivalent in physically is your own body. And this is your course of study, of course, but you've lived in your body however many years you've lived there. And most days you don't give it any thought and you, you don't even know what it's doing. You probably couldn't name all the parts if you tried and certainly not what they do and how they do it and how often they do it. I mean, valves open and close, fluids stop and flow, pumps start and stop, cells die and are replaced every day, all day, with, with spirit obviously running it because, yes, we fuel the body, we feed it, we cleanse it, we exercise it, but that's just maintenance. We're not, we didn't create it and we don't know anything about its design. We just, and we aren't even grateful for it. Usually we're complaining about some part of it instead of just loving it and appreciating it the way it is. And you can, so you don't have to go anywhere to, to slow down. You can sit in a chair and develop this ability to appreciate. And of course, appreciation, whatever we appreciate, appreciates, it gets better. And so I think slowing down a bit and enjoying the trip is really way more important than where we're actually trying to get. You are reminding me of something that happened to me back in eighth grade. There was a girl in my class who was what we would now call an evangelical Christian. She carried a Bible every day. She didn't wear makeup. She didn't go to dances, but she was lovely. And even though a lot of kids who were so different would have been ostracized, she was beloved by all. I will always remember her. Her name was Joy Blair. And one thing that I always noticed about Joy was that the rest of us would be rushing around to get ready after gym class. And we were just tripping over ourselves and running into locker doors to be sure that we were dressed and out of there and on time for our next class. Joy never hurried. And I asked her about it one day and she said, God held the sun for, maybe you know this, Joy knew it, she said for Elisha or Elijah, I don't remember which one, and I figure he will hold the bell for me. <laughs> what a wonderful philosophy. 
you know, it really was. And we never know when we say things to people when it's going to come up 50 years later <laughs> and be important. So you do a lot of that, saying important things to people that they can use right now and that they'll pull out 50 years from now. So let's just take a, a little meander away from all the wonderful things that you have to teach us. We'll get back to that. And let's talk a little bit about you, because this is, after all, meetings with remarkable women. And you are one of those. You got into the ministry at a time when there weren't a lot of women doing that. So tell us a little bit of your own personal story. Well, I, I got into ministry uh, unwillingly. Uh, my husband, uh, John, had had the calling to be a minister for quite some time, got involved like we all do with raising families and other things and didn't have the luxury to be able to pursue a whole new career line. And then life opened up for him a little bit and he was able to do that. And I followed him to school and thought Unity has two um, designations. One is minister uh, and the other is licensed teacher, which allows you to teach Unity materials. So I thought I would go ahead and get my license so that I could help him in this church, but I would write. Finally, I was going to have time to spend my whole life writing. I'd been writing since I was a child, just like you. I had a newspaper when I was seven years old, the Family Gazette. So, so it's been a passion of mine forever to express that way. So uh, I went with him with no intention of having anything other than getting this particular designation. And about the time he was going to be ready to graduate, I kept waking up every night in the middle of the night at two o'clock with the message, get your own ministry. And I kept saying, well, I have my own ministry. I'm going to write uh, about these things, but uh, I mean, I'm going to help John, and then I'd go back to sleep, and the next night I'd wake up the same way. And finally, I said, you don't mean go to ministerial school and seminary and actually become a minister. And then I just never woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning again. So I began to pursue it, and particularly with him, thinking he's going to say, oh, my goodness, you're not going to decide to do this now after I'm just about to come into my own here. And he said, well, thank goodness you made up your mind before we left the village because I was going to go out into the world, but I figured we'd come back together for you to go to school. So he seemed to know about this calling long before I did. And I came into it uh, not knowing exactly why, only that I was being guided into it. And then I took a course by Greg Lavoy, and Greg is a was a New York Times columnist who wrote a book called Calling, Callings, and I'll never forget him. Uh, he actually, his course was actually a form of deep soul writing, but I came out of it with the knowledge that, I, and I knew it to my core the minute it came out of me, was that I came on the planet just to remind people that God loves them, and whatever situation they're in, they're not alone, and they're divinely guided all the time, and like the lady who said, uh, God held the sun, uh, God will take care in my belief system of any situation you're in, no matter what, and make it better for you if you will simply say you need the help. So that became my passion, and that's how I've done my ministry ever since in many ways, uh, but particularly came upon and evolved into the 
discovery that gratitude is the greatest way to get to know God. And so I've been teaching or writing about gratitude ever since. Well, we're going to talk about gratitude. And one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on at the outset of November is that this is gratitude <laughs> month in the United States, at least, and something that um, is good for us to be thinking about. But I want to talk about another G word before we move around to gratitude. And that is God. And I run into more and more people for whom that is a painful word. They've had religion trauma. They've had things happen in the past that just make them say, uh-uh, not going there. So what, what do you say to that? Is there any way that these people can get some help and some relief other than just shutting that whole part of life off? Well, you know, they, they either God did something they didn't want done or didn't do something they did want done because that it's, it's a matter of having life not work out the way they wanted it to. And we all have to blame someone. You know, the, the devil made me do it. My mother was an alcoholic. My father was a meanie. My boss is a monster. My husband did this or that. Finally, you come to the conclusion that it's up to you and that you are responsible for your own life. Then you want to use the higher source. And if you can't call it God, I mean, I have a friend who calls him George all the time. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you call spirit. In the books you're reading, though you read the second one, the first one is uh, uh, life doesn't have to be so hard. It's where these characters who just won't do anything if they think they're going to have to go to church or be involved with God in any way, come upon a little apparition that calls itself the eternal life force and appears to them as an elf, an E-L-F, or the eternal life force. And through that little creature who they created out of their imagination, they are able to understand that their life is a spirit-fed life, if you will let it be, and their whole life changes. But they are, you asked me in one of the letters you wrote me about this interview to talk to you about the age of 40. Uh, 40 is, in the secular world, the time of midlife crisis and perimenopausal and all the physical reasons we think that we have make big adjustments in the 10 years between 40 and 50, if we are normal Americans. But actually, we're, we're really turning from a um, human-directed life to a spirit-directed life, whether we know it or not. So you actually believe that something happens in every decade. So all of our friends out there in their 40s, they are turning to a spirit-directed decade. Let's back up. Let's talk about the 20s, and let's uh, cover a lot of decades going forward. Well, the, up to 40, we are busy um, designing a life. You know, we, our parents start to ask us when we're little, what do we think we want to be? And I'm, I'm just to, know, to, to show you how silly that direction can be, how it can come out of uh, right reasons or wrong reasons, either you're compelled from your inner uh, guidance to what you're going to do with the first 40 years of your life, or you just happen into a job or stumble over a job or 
have a hero that you follow or whatever. And one of my colleagues said one Christmas she was fixing dinner for about a family of about 20 people when the kitchen sink stopped up. And she couldn't get it unstopped no matter what she did. And so she got on the phone and was calling plumber after plumber after plumber. And finally, one answered the phone and said he would come. And he came and unclogged the sink and charged her a fortune. And she was so grateful. She gave him a pumpkin pie and she praised praised him to the hilt. The next Halloween, fast forward, her five-year-old said to his grandmother, said, what do you want to be for Halloween? He said, oh, I want to be a plumber. And she didn't even know he knew what a plumber was. She said, why do you want to be a plumber? She said, because they make my mommy so happy when they come on Christmas Day. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's normally the way we choose our career you know, with, with that sort of weird direction that doesn't really have any meaning. And then we, then we get busy. We get married. We have children. We rise in our careers. We climb the the corporate ladder, we do all of those things. And around 40, something happens to us physically. We realize we can't run as fast or walk as fast or do something we couldn't, we we could do 10 years before or even 10 minutes before. And it's a wake-up call. And then we start to do an inventory. You know, I 20 years ago I was 20. 20 years from now I'm going to be 60. That's quite a different picture. So how am I going to live the rest of my life is what happens to most people. Never broad brush because it doesn't have to apply to everybody. But to most people, there are changes that are fairly major that take place or that we wish could take place between 40 and 50. Those who follow that inner guidance and get in touch with their passion and move in that direction, we'll have a happier end of life than the others. But everyone will survive because we can't make a mistake. We came here to have experiences and we're gonna have them no matter what we do. My work is to try to help you make experiences that will keep you happy and healthy and well and secure and all the things most of us would like to be. So how about the 50s? What happens in that decade? Well, in the 50s, this book you just read is in the 50s. The the parents moved out. Now they're dealing with both children and parents. Uh, This particular set of characters isn't dealing so much with children. Only one is. But the parent, most are juggling uh, the the needs of their high school and college-age children and their parents who are retiring and changing their lifestyle one way or another. In Florida, they're often moving down to Florida, but wherever you live, they're making changes. And the girls are going, you know, they're having their experiences as women and saying, you know, I'm coming to the end of my child rearing years. My kids are growing up. They're going to school. They're getting married. What's for me now? I, I counsel women all the time who say, you know, I was my father's daughter, my husband's wife, my children's mother. Who am I? I'm somebody else's something up till now. What am I going to do? I'm 50 years old and I want to live another 50 years and I want to be fulfilled. And so those are times of choices. Well, then I must ask you about the 60s, not not the 1960s, (laughs) (laughs) but our very own 60s. 
No, I didn't go to Woodstock, even though I could have. <laughs> uh, that's a 60s question. <laughs> uh, well, the 60s, of course, you're facing retirement and you're facing usually a change of income status and maybe a change of place of living. Uh, if you have had a career all this time, you're looking at some time in the next decade, probably retiring. And what does retiring mean? Now, each decade brings its own uh, kinds of new, you can call them challenges, I guess, because they are challenging, but they're new opportunities. They're new ways of doing things. I personally, I tell your audience, I'm 82 years old. I find the aging process very freeing. You know, I can now, blessedly, pretty much do only what I want to do. There are very few things I have to do. And that's a really blessed way to live. I mean, I don't know how long it'll last, but I'm loving it while it's going on. It's so fascinating <laughs> to me. You know, things happen physically, but there always seems to be a kind of metaphysical um, sidekick there. So sure. I know, for example, in Ayurveda, they have this wonderful tenet that youth ends at 60. And I think that is so positive because for people in all those decades leading up to 60, how they take care of their health and self-care and all that is like putting money in the bank. And then after 60, you can still make deposits, but you can also start to draw on some of the wonderful things that you did for yourself earlier. And I have a feeling it's kind of similar on the spiritual side. You know, our meditation, our positive thinking, all that, it goes into that bank and then we can draw on it when we need it. I think that's a wonderful way to put it. Uh, and I don't think there's any age that's any better. As we speak today, I'm looking at a picture of you and a picture of me. And I think there's probably about 40 years, 30, 40 years difference. I used to wear my hair exactly the way you're wearing it in this picture. I was about the same weight you are when I, I was your age or the age of this picture that I'm looking at. And now I'm entirely different in appearance and style and in all kinds of things. But both were wonderful. I mean, there's no stage of life that I've lived that I'm not very glad I lived. And, and I still draw on the things I did when I was your age and, and teach people about them that are your age and say, this is a way to be. You know, you I came into your life reading the Living a Charm-Filled Life, and uh, I have lived a charm-filled life. So I am grateful to you for giving it a name. Oh, bless your heart. Well, um, I'm older than you think I am, so thank you for that one, too. I'm going to have some gratitude. Uh, <laughs> For, for that. So let's talk about gratitude. You know, I realize that in this month, people are going to be doing Thanksgiving. And sometimes in some families, people go around the table and say, I'm grateful for this. And I'm grateful for that. But gratitude needs to be all year round. Tell us why. Well, needs to be, uh, you know, you can, I, I'm here to tell you, you can live your life well, any way you're living it, if you're happy in it. But if you're not completely fulfilled or you'd like it to be deeper, then there are practices you can perform. We're taught when we're little to say thank you and please. Uh, we pray at night, God, please take care of everybody and thank you for making this and that happen. 
we say a little grace often before food, at least when we're young families. I, I don't even see very many in my senior community doing that anymore, a few, but not most. But we don't pay much attention to gratitude. It's sort of a, a cast off thing. Uh, yeah, sure, I'm grateful. Oh, isn't that nice? Oh, thank you for saying that. But when you get into what I call deepening gratitude, and I did write a little book called Deepening Gratitude. It's a 30-day practice of getting into deepening gratitude. Then you realize how hugely supported you are in this life. And so let me just give you an example. If you walk across the room and turn a light switch, how many people had to today so that you could flip that switch and get light? or turn on a lamp, or plug in a toaster. I mean, going to the linemen on the wires that hung them to begin with and who tend them all the time, all the way through the wires to the electric uh, grills and grids that are all over the country, and all the people who work for that every day and work for the electric companies around the world that keep us so that we can just flip a switch and have anything we want. We never give those people a single thought. Maybe after a hurricane, someone will post on Facebook a picture of a lineman and say, you know, the, these are the real workers. But otherwise, whoever gives them a thought. If you go to your kitchen cupboard and take down almost any jar of spice, let's say cumin or um, allspice or something, and you go to your computer and uh, Google it, you'll see that it grew in Sri Lanka or the rainforest or Africa or somewhere in the ground, in a seed. Somebody had to grow it and fertilize it and make it uh, something that could be used and then harvest it and then take it to be processed and then ship it across the country and put it in bottles or boxes or whatever and put it on the shelf in the grocery store so that when you want cinnamon on your toast, for $4.98, <laughs> you know, all you have to do is reach in the cupboard and get it. That army of people, the army of people that keep the highways going, that keep the water company going. So I teach deepening gratitude all the time. And, and the easiest way to do it is just look at the little tools you use. I mean, windshield wipers, the handle on your suitcase, the knife and fork you eat with every day. We give them no thought whatsoever unless they're missing or broken and need to be replaced. And is that a bad thing? Maybe not. But when you start realizing how well cared for you are, how pampered you are, because you have these tools that, you know, you can make a piece of toast and make a cup of coffee in two minutes. Our, when I was little, even toast, most people burned it and then took it to the sink and scraped it off. I mean, there was no control. So now everything is easy compared to how it was. And being grateful for that only is going to make it better. Well, then let's take a moment and just be grateful. So Reverend Lauren McLaughlin, I want to get into an area of a little bit of controversy. I know that you are a minister um, ordained through unity and unity was a tradition in which I grew up. I kind of grew up dual. Um, my parents were uh, Roman Catholic. My nanny was in unity. <laughs> so I got mm -hmm. both. And 
unity is a beautiful, happy way of, of looking at life. And one of the teachings is abundance, that, that we really should be prosperous and, and not have any worry about our physical needs. But a lot of people, I think as the kind of new age movement got to be big back at the end of the 20th century and we have the secret and some of these kinds of things, this whole idea of abundance became what I think of as a greed for wealth. So when I look at my life, your life, and that of probably almost everybody listening to this, our standard of living is much closer to Warren Buffett's than it is to the average person in a country like Nepal or most of the continent of Africa. So what do you do with this idea of people praying and affirming and visualizing incredible wealth when so many people still don't have the basics? Well, that's an enormous question. <laughs> but let's start with so many people don't even have the basics. Uh, we choose to believe what we believe. And uh, when we're young, it's sort of forced into us. You know, the, our parents who came out of the Depression, or at least their parents came out of the Depression, said things like money doesn't grow on trees, a uh, penny saved is a penny earned, uh, you shouldn't have, as you shouldn't buy anything you can't pay for, and then credit came along and society took off in a different direction. One of my students said that his first little house was a two-bedroom house that had wall, I mean, window air conditioners. And after he'd owned it about five years, the window air conditioners began to break down. And so he got the idea that he might like to put in central heat and air. So he saved the money and finally got it and put it in and uh, came home and found the house nice and cool and all the rooms the same. And he said, you know, what I learned today is that I'll never learn with, live without central heat and air again. So I'm going to have to work harder to make more money to afford this. And then I'm going to want something else and I'm going to want something else and I'm going to want something else. And after a while, I became driven by my wants. And I think that's what's happened to America. Now, two parents must work in order to even keep the household going. Uh, prices have gone up accordingly because there are two parents earning money to keep the household going. And so we've created an economy and a society that uh, is hard to live with for some people. Others who don't really require all those things, who are perfectly happy without them, especially these people living off the grid and putting in solar heating and solar electricity and uh, solar power and that sort of thing. Uh, are rebelling against that. And usually when the pendulum goes all the way in one direction, either society will require it to come back or the fear that these people have that they can't pay their bills will cause them not to be able to pay their bills. And then the economy will drop back into a, a really unpleasant kind of place to be. We always have to come back to what do I want uh, I love the Spice Girls song, What Do I Want? Do I Really, Really Want? 
If everyone would sit down once a day and ask themselves that, what do I really, really want? And how much that I think I want don't I need uh, or even want to be bothered with because it's wearing me out and causing me to give up thousands of other things, we would all be happier people. Now, people ask me, what's the meaning of life? What, what's the meaning of your life? Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. As we start winding it down a little bit, one thing I noticed in your wonderful book, Don't Rush, at the beginning of each chapter, you have a quotation from somebody. And then I started to see, wait a minute, all of these are about passion. They don't all use the word, most of them do. So you're really into passion. Tell us why. Well, because I, passion is what runs us. And like all things, we can ignore our passion. We can say, well, I can't do anything about it. But not many people relegate their passion to a hobby uh, because they think they have to earn a living doing something hard or laborious or that can make them a tremendous amount of money. And they ignore doing what makes them happy. But your passion, I told you, I discovered my passion is to remind people that they're okay, that God loves them and that they're going to be taken care of and that if they'll just stop and allow it to happen, they'll figure out how to work with that power instead of against it. But everybody has a passion. Yours and mine uh, are, are to just let, let people know they can have a better life they don't have to settle, that they can do more if they want to or less if they want to, and that it's up to them. The meaning of their life is the meaning that they put into it. And the more they work from that internal guidance, that, that thing that guides them all the way, they will be given new purposes as they go along. Uh, you Again, watching you go from living a charmed life to over into the you always were involved with the world of food, but you came over to make it really your, your life's work and to, to, to explain it to people in a dozen different ways so that a dozen different people will understand it. And you're very passionate about it. And I'm very passionate about my work. I think people can live good lives if they will allow the help that they can get from spirit to do anything anything in the world they want to do and nothing they don't. So what would you say to somebody who's like, I just don't feel very passionate about anything right now. I think a lot of people still feel tired and out of sorts from having been through the pandemic. As I walk through the streets of New York City, it's not the same. There are a lot of empty storefronts. There are a lot more homeless people than there used to be. I think some people are just feeling like I kind of remember when I had a passion, but I don't have one now. What would you tell them? Well, I tell them that if they really want to find it, they can find it. But they, the one good place to start is what did you love to do when you were a child? 
What kind of games did you play? What kinds of things interested you? When you were still in touch with spirit, whether you knew it or not, <clears throat> you were led to do certain things that just made you, delighted you. What delights you now? I mean, is it a beautiful sunset? Is it a marvelous painting? Is it a symphony? Is it a Broadway show? Is it knitting or crocheting? Is it cooking, decorating cakes? What, what, when you think about whether it has any relationship to what you are currently doing doesn't matter. What would make you happy? Because if you'll accept that you came here to be happy and you have a right to be happy, then you will begin to look for the happy in you instead of all the reasons to be miserable. That is amazing. I love it. Look for the happy. So were you always a positive person or did you get that later in life as you came into Unity and some of the courses you took and the books that you read? Well, I had really good parenting and my mother was quite exceptional. When I graduated from college, she gave me a, a watch that you wore around your neck, and it was encased in a, um, a, a brass, I guess, or copper, I think, world globe. And she said, I'm giving you the world and the time to enjoy it. What a mom. Woo. My, my role models were all givers all doers, all uh, kind people, all reaching out to others all the time. I didn't realize everybody didn't do that. Well, when we talked about gratitude, that's certainly something to have on the gratitude list. All the people <laughs> that inspired us. And for some people, it was parents. For some people, the parents were anti-inspirers for whatever reason. True, But True. those of us who found somebody else who gave us a reason to look for the good in ourselves and actually find it, what great people they were or are. And what a great person you are, Reverend Lauren McLaughlin. I'm just so thrilled that we've had this time together. And as we do wind down, can you just say for our listeners, what's your philosophy of life? And if you could get everybody to think a little bit more like you, how would they be thinking? Oh, my. Well, I think that you can see every person, every situation um, <clears throat> from the standpoint of it either being all good or all bad. Or you can recognize that, like the yin-yang shows, we have a little bit of each in each of us. Even my mother used to say, there's a little larceny in all of us. <laughs> and driven driven to certain circumstances, it will come out. However, uh, if we look for the good part, if we look to the light, if we turn to the brightness, if we understand that we can't muck it up badly enough for God to unmuck it, that we don't really have any reason to be afraid. And if you're not afraid, you can do almost anything in this life. So just look at every person and find something good about them. I mean, even those mean mafia people loved their own families. They were wonderful to their wives and children. So, you know, people are not all bad or all good. No one and no thing. And just find the good part. 
Well, I love how you think, and I'm just so happy that you are out there in the world writing these wonderful books. So do take a look, everybody, at Life Doesn't Have to Be So Hard, and at Don't Rush. The trip is way more interesting than the destination. You can find Reverend Lauren at the spiritualtoolstore.com. And she's also on Facebook at Rev Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N. And we will put those URLs on the show notes at victoriamoran.com. So thank you so much, Reverend Laura. And blessings on your day. And now it's just you and me, lovely listener. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for staying around to the sweet, sweet end. And I do have an announcement for something coming up in this month of November, 2022. And that is an online retreat. Don't you love that word, retreat? It just seems like this delicious getaway. And now we can do them without having to actually get away. So what is happening on November 19th and 20th, just before the holiday season starts, we're going to do a retreat called Intro to Ahimsa Ayurveda. So Ahimsa is the first moral precept of yoga. It means dynamic harmlessness. It's nonviolence to the nth degree of taking care of ourselves with incredible love and reverence and extending that out to all other people and all other beings. And Ayurveda is the beautiful system of health care and self-care that started in ancient India and grew up alongside yoga. Ayurveda is the only healthcare system that I am aware of that came out of spiritual principles. And some people would say, well, that's not scientific. And yet Ayurveda is recognized to this day by the World Health Organization as a viable healthcare system. And as a healthcare system, they're just like Western medicine in terms of having all the parts. They've got psychology, uh, psychiatry, I should say, and uh, gerontology and oncology and cardiology and pediatrics and all the other parts that make up a medical system. But what's really cool about Ayurveda and what we're gonna be getting into at this delicious retreat is the self-care aspects and what we can do to take really good care of ourselves, improve our health and get to know ourselves as unique individuals so that we can customize that self-care. Now, a lot of people who are vegan would say, yeah, but Ayurveda, they're really into ghee clarified butter, they use dairy. Well, traditionally, yes, most Ayurvedic practitioners have done that and most continue to do so. But there are some who don't and there is a vegan movement growing within Ayurveda. So what we're gonna do at this retreat is practice Ahimsa Ayurveda, completely vegan, completely full of love for you, your body, for the cow, her calf, and everybody else. So how do you find out about it? Here is a tiny URL, so I won't have to say a whole lot of letters and numbers that would confuse people. Go to www.tinyurl.com slash ahimsa 
Ayurveda. Now I'm going to spell that for you. A-H-I-M-S-A-A-Y-U-R-V-E-D-A. So that's tinyurl.com slash Ahimsa Ayurveda. It's going to be happening on November 19 and 20 from 2 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. And if you live somewhere else, you can just uh, do the math and figure out what time it would be for you. And if you go to that URL, you're not committed to sign up. It just gives you more information and you can read about it. And otherwise, please let me hear from you either through the Facebook group of Victoria Moran podcast listeners, or you can find me on Instagram at, at Victoria Moran author, and uh, we'll just get acquainted. That would be lovely because I have a feeling that if you enjoy what we talk about here, I would really enjoy getting to know you. Thanks so much for being part of this. Now go out and be remarkable. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can learn more about Victoria or contact her at victoriamoran.com. Be part of her inner circle by joining the Victoria Moran podcast listeners group on Facebook. And if you're a vegan looking to up your game, check out Victoria's acclaimed training and certification program, Main Street Vegan Academy at MainStreetVegan.com. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.